All right, before we get started, you may have noticed this week that we've had a few more Facebook posts than usual. <laughs> the, um, yeah, the reason for that is uh, the little program I've been using that uh, allows me to put those nice little fancy things up for the last couple of weeks. Um, I decided to go ahead and splurge and pay the $10 a month for the paid part of the program. It's not a whole lot of money, but it's 10 bucks a month, and I was holding off doing that till I saw what we were going to do with it. And once you do that, then you get to do all kinds of stuff with it that you couldn't do otherwise. <laughs> so it gives me a lot of other things to, to be able to do. So we're trying it out here. If you want to keep seeing them coming, then you got to give me some feedback on it. Give me some likes. Got a couple from, from a, f- a few, a couple of comments, but uh, need more. It takes a little bit of time to get all those things put together because it's not just putting text up there. It's actually creating the whole thing, and you got to do it on the phone. You can't do it on a keyboard. So it's a little bit of a nastier, but it, there's no option to do it on the keyboard. You have to do it on the phone. I don't know why, but you have to do it on the phone. So we're trying to do some things with the reading, the, the Bible reading that we're doing. We'll do some things with um, events, and uh, as well as that we right now we've been doing the services, of course, on it, but we'll try and do some other things on it as well. I think um, put an article up there with Tony Cook for you to read and a few other things like, things like that. So if you like them, then like them. Put a comment up there. Do something. Let me know you're there. Don't always know that. Don't, don't know it unless, uh, unless people come up there and, and to do something. So Anyway, and the way we're doing it now, too, with the paid thing, I can actually do it the night before to have it hit your uh, Facebook page like at quarter of eight in the morning or something like that. I can actually schedule them and set them on up so I don't have to remember that time of the day to get up there and to, to do that. So it does seem pretty nice what we can... Um, what we can do. When we created it for you today here, I actually had to go out and find a picture outside of the program because I found this really cool picture. Anybody see it? Anybody saw the one up there today? Yeah. Found that picture. So I was looking all over for the very picture for this. Oh, I like this one. So we brought that one on in and I couldn't do that with the free version. Had to wait for that paid version to be able to do that. <laughs> Can't get, they just wanted to get you a little, your appetite wet a little bit and, uh, and to try it out. So, And I don't know if you noticed this, but our logo is now on the, on the thing. Anybody see that? Yeah, look down in the bottom right-hand corner. You'll see the Zoe logo down there in the bottom. Same one from the webpage is out there on the, on the uh, Facebook stuff that we do. So, okay. That's what we got in there for that. If anyone is tuning in on Facebook, thanks to Trina, we have outlines available for you. <coughs> so I've been doing that for uh, last couple of services. You can uh, view that. It's under the comments, underneath the little intro we did about what's going on here tonight. Hebrews chapter 3. Hebrews chapter 3, we're going to be over to verse 7. And here we have a quote from the Old Testament. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion in the day of trial in the wilderness, where your father's tested me, tried me, and saw my works forty years. Therefore I was angry with that generation and said, They always go astray in their hearts, and they have not known my ways. So I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Now if you had seen the Facebook post that we did today, we asked you this question. Can you see in that passage right there the tie-in with the waters of Meribah? There is a direct tie-in with that passage in the waters of Meribah, but it does not jump right out at you. Now, I didn't get any comments from the handful of people who did see it, so I'm assuming that nobody saw the the tie-in. So we're going to show you where the tie-in is to the waters of Meribah uh, right in here. In In the passage here, this is a quote from Psalm 95, 7 through 11, and there is not much difference between the quote here other than the the quote is in Greek and the original (coughs) text is in Hebrew. That's about all that you have that is different in that. But here we have, uh, Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion in the day of trial in the wilderness. Now, right there is the tie-in. The word here, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. The word there for rebellion, if you go back to the Hebrew in the psalm, which is what he is quoting from, the word there is Meribah. You remember that, that Moses, when he came out of the first incident they had with the water, he said he called the place Meribah because of their complaining. 
and their, their bickering and such. There are actually two locations that are called Meribah. One in the south and one in the north. The south is the one they came up to first. That was after Mount Sinai where they had the water that came from the, the rock and then uh, later on towards the end of their sojourning during the wilderness they had the second incident and that was up in uh, Meribah and Kadesh which is further north and is closer to the promised land. So those are two different incidents. Those are two different places. They both have the same name and that name is what is used in this text in the Hebrew. So it refers directly back to that particular incident. A couple other places where we see this word. In Psalms 106, verse 32, they angered him also at the waters of strife. The word there for strife is the word Meribah. So that it went ill with Moses on account of them. In Psalm 81 and verse 7, you called in trouble and I delivered you. I answered you in the secret place of thunder. I tested you at the waters of Meribah. And there, of course, it just translated it straight out that it was this way. I'm not sure quite why they didn't do the same thing in Psalm 106, but they put strife in there for, for that one, the waters of strife. Uh, it would seem to me that if you're going to translate it Meribah in one place, you would translate it that in the other too, but that's not, had, not what they had done. So let's take a look at those incidents. We have two incidents. The first one is Exodus 17 and 1 through 7. And there's a particular reason why I'm going to take a look at both of these because there is a difference between the two, beside the fact that Moses was supposed to strike the rock first and speak to the rock second, there is a significant difference on these two that uh, I don't think I've ever brought out before, mainly because I don't think I saw it before. So, you know, if you don't see something, <laughs> you're not going to bring it out. <laughs> Verse 1, <clears throat> Then all the congregation of the children of Israel set out on their journey from the wilderness of sin according to the commandment of the Lord and camped at Rephidim. But there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore, the people contended with Moses and said, Give us water that we may drink. And Moses said to them, Why do you contend with me? Why do you tempt the Lord? And the people thirsted there for water. And the people complained against Moses and said, Why is it you have... You have... Um, why is my word missing? I got, a, I got the old-fashioned paper thing because I, 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 I left it at home on the charger. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, I don't like it when that happens. <laughs> I, I feel like I can't have all the stuff that I usually have with me, but why is it that you have brought us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses, Moses cried out to the Lord saying, What shall I do with this people? They are almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, Go on before the people and take with you some of the elders of Israel. <clears throat> also take in your hand your rod, which you struck the river, and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock of Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water will come out of it, and the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. So he called the name of the place Massah, or Meribah, because of the contention of the children of Israel, and because they tempted the Lord, saying, He is, uh, is the Lord among us or not? So we contended with him here. Why is it you have brought us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock? So they came to the conclusion that the reason that Moses had brought them up was to kill them. Now, of course, we know that Moses didn't bring them up. It was the Lord that brought them up. And they uh, oftentimes blame the Lord or they blame Moses and they do things like that. <clears throat> but they said they, basically, I re rephrase it this way. We figured out why the Lord's will, we, we, we figured out the Lord's will. It is to bring us here and to kill us. Right? That's the Lord's will. And now, how many times have they said stuff like that? The Lord, is it because there was no graves in Egypt? That you brought us out here to kill us? So we determined that the Lord's will was to do all those great signs to pull you out of Egypt, part the Red Sea, to bring you across the Red Sea, provide water for you, food for you, manna, and all that sort of stuff, to bring you out here in the middle of the wilderness to kill you all. That's what they had come to the conclusion that that was. So I put this in your outline for you. You cannot know the will of God from circumstances, only from His Word. You cannot know the will of God from circumstances, only from His Word. This is an important truth for us to get down because so often we interpret the will of God because of our circumstances. If, if a person, no one here, of course, but other places and you know, other churches and other states and <laughs> countries and places like that, 
those kind of those folks there. When they get sick, well, if I am sick and I have prayed and it hasn't gone away, then it must be the will of God that I am sick and God has decided to make. And they go over this because they're interpreting the will of God. They're coming to conclusion of what the will of God is because of circumstances instead of the word of God. And as soon as we get into any situation where we will allow circumstances to help us interpret the will of God, we are in trouble. If Paul would have done this when he listened to the, the, the vision that he had and he went over to Macedonia, circumstances would have told him he missed God. But he didn't buy into the circumstances. He didn't buy into all the rough treatment he had and the not so great reception he got in, in the places where he was at. He just continued on because this is what God said. We cannot allow circumstances to interpret for us the will of God. Here's the second incident, Numbers chapter 20, verse 1. Then the children of Israel, the whole congregation, came into the wilderness of Zin in the first month, and the people stayed at Kadesh, and Miriam died there and was buried there. Now there was no water for the congregation, so they gathered together against Moses and Aaron. And the people contended with Moses and spoke, saying, If only we had died with our brethren when our brethren died before the Lord. Why have you brought up the assembly of the Lord into this wilderness that we and our animals should die here? And why have you made us come up out of Egypt to bring us to this evil place? It is not a place of grain or figs or vine or pomegranates, nor is there any water to drink. So Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly to the door of the tabernacle of meeting and they fell on their faces and the glory of the Lord appeared to them. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Take the rod. You and your brother Aaron, gather the congregation together. Speak to the rock before their eyes, and it will yield its water. Thus you shall bring water for them out of the rock and give drink to the congregation and their animals. So Moses took the rod from before the Lord as he commanded him. And Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock. He said to them, Hear now, you rebels. Must we bring water from you out of this rock? Then Moses lifted his hand and struck the rock twice with his rod, and water came out abundantly. And the congregation and the animals drank. And the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, Because you did not believe me, to hallow me in the eyes of the children of Israel. Therefore, you shall not bring this assembly into land which I have given them. This was the water of Meribah, because the children of Israel contended with the Lord, and he was hallowed among them. Now this is a similar conclusion that they came to many years before. The first time they ran into this instance and water came from the rock, they had come to the same conclusion. <clears throat> why have you brought us up? They, w- they would say, why have you brought us up out of there? But it was not God, of course, who brought them. It was, or it was not Moses. It was God because God is the one who's leading them in the pillar of fire and the cloud and all these, these sort of things. But I want to take you on back here to verse, verse 3. And the people contended with Moses and spoke, saying, if only we had died with our bre- when our brethren died before the Lord. What brethren do they speak of? Are they talking about people in Egypt? No. They are talking about the only group of people who were supposed to die in the wilderness, which was the generation before. So what you are having is the words not of the generation of rebellion, This is the new second generation. The one that God was raising up to go into the promised land. These are the ones who said, we should have died with those who were condemned to die in the wilderness. Why did we not die with them? This is the new generation. It seems like the new and improved generation is the same as the old. After all these years, it hasn't changed. If only we had died when our brethren died before the Lord. Why have you brought us up? Uh, up? <clears throat> why have you brought up the assembly of the Lord into this wilderness, that we and our animals should die here? That's the exact same complaint they heard from their parents. And why have you made us come up out of Egypt to bring us to this evil place? It is not a place of grain or figs or vines, or pomegranates, nor is there any water to drink. This is a generation that many of them never saw Egypt. You're looking at 40 years later, out of that generation, those 20 and under, 
were, were the only ones that were spared. So if you're out there for 40 years, that means you've got at least 20 years of people that have never been in Egypt. Everyone at this point who is 20 years and under has never seen Egypt. They were not there for slavery. They were not there for the captivity. They were not there for all the labors. They didn't see it. And some of the other ones were too young to remember. So how is it that they are telling Moses about what they left in Egypt? Now Moses can remember because he was there. But how does this generation know so well what happened in Egypt? See, this generation had two people to listen to, two groups of people to listen to. They could listen to the generation who was rejected by God and said, you're going to die in the wilderness. Or they can listen to those who were selected out of that group, the Moses, the Joshua, the Caleb's. That, and as far as I know, there's really only those three. The rest of them were pretty much condemned. Maybe you can put Aaron in that category, but he got rejected from going in as well. Instead of listening to those who God said, these guys are going to continue to go in, they've done the right thing. They heard from their parents. They heard from their parents' friends. They heard from their neighbors. When we were back in Egypt, we used to eat pomegranates. What's a pomegranate? Because you're in the wilderness, you don't know what a pomegranate is. You don't have pomegranates around. You got manna and quail. That's really about it. You got manna every day and, and quail on occasion. There's no pomegranates growing in the wilderness. How do they know about the pomegranates? Anybody ever had a pomegranate? I, I don't know if I ever have. <clears throat> what, I, what I do know is that if I go over to Wendy's and I get one of those salads, they have the pomegranate dressing. Oh, man, I like that one. That is, I love pomegranate dressing. I could do that all the time. And I think it's healthy, too, because it's not creamy or anything like that. I, I tell myself it's healthy. I went on out to Wendy's today. I haven't been out to Wendy's for a while. went out to Wendy's today because I decided I'm going to have lunch today and I'm going to have lunch as a salad from Wendy's, get that apple pecan with the pomegranate, and I got that thing. But, you know, Wendy's are, Wednesdays are just one of my hardest days to get through. They're just the longest. I don't hardly ever get to run or ride a bike or, or do anything. But I get up early in the morning and I get all the stuff done I have to do in one place and get changed and get ready to go out. And... Um, uh, I didn't get time. I, I still have my lunch over there in the in the cooler. I was talking to my wife earlier today. She says, "Don't bother making me dinner. I still have lunch." <laughs> so I'll either eat it when I get home, or I'll eat it before. So it looks like I'm eating it when I get home. But that's the only my, that's all I know about a pomegranate is what's in that salad. That's pretty much it. And I know it tastes good, but I'm I'm pretty sure that would be the pomegranates. But I don't know what a pomegranate fruit tastes like. I've never gone to the grocery store and picked one up. I don't know what you, to do with it if you got it. Cause, you know, just because you don't just cut it open, I guess, and eat it. Maybe you do. I, I, I don't know. But they're talking about pomegranates here. They're talking about grain. They're talking about figs. They're talking about vines. And they have nothing of this in the wilderness. All they know is what people have told them about it. Oh, we used to have the vines and we used to go up there and pick off of the vines and all oh, the olives. And uh, isn't, aren't olives a, a kind of a Jewish food? I mean, I know a lot of other my Italians like them too. I don't know what I am because I despise olives. I hate them. I don't want to be near them. Oh. I still remember being at my, uh, my, my uh, wife's brother's place and he had this huge olive tray for whatever reason, they put it down next to the place where I was sitting. I was smelling olives, all kinds of olives, and ones they chopped up into little tiny pieces so that the odor could come out at you all that better. Oh, it was terrible. Absolutely terrible. Everyone else was enjoying the olives. You know, they had red ones and green ones and black ones and purple ones. And, oh, I, I don't know why the Lord made olives. I just, I just don't like them. 
I do like olive oil and stuff. I, I, I don't know why I like the olive oil. I can't stand the olives. But anyway, they're talking about all these things. And doesn't it seem funny that the second generation, because a lot of times we can read this and we hear the first generation. And we just think this is the first generation. But folks, we're almost ready to go into the promised land. This is the second generation. And they're saying we should have died with all those other guys. But instead, <laughs> so this is the second generation. This is the new generation. This is the generation that God said, I'm going to bring them into the promised land. And here they are talking about grain and figs and vines and pomegranate stuff they never had yet. <laughs> and you could think that except for the fact that we should have died with those who died in the wilderness. And so they're pretty much identifying we are not that generation. We are the new generation. And we have the same attitude as the old generation. So this is not going well. Verse 12. Then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, Because you did not believe me to hallow me in the eyes of the children of Israel... Therefore, you shall not bring what? This assembly. You see, he can't be talking to the first generation because that group doesn't go in. He's talking to the generation that's going in. These are the bu- this is the bunch that's going in. I mean, there might be a few that are still lingering that have to go, but for the most part, this is the generation that's going in. And God says, you're not going to bring this generation in. If I was God, I'd say, I'm not bringing them in either. <laughs> Let's go another 40. Good thing I'm not God, huh? <clears throat> but because you did not believe me, he's speaking to Moses and Aaron, to hallow me in the eyes of the children of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into land which I have given them. This was the water of Meribah, because of the children of Israel contended with the Lord, and he was hallowed. He was hallowed among them. So God says, I'm going to be hallowed even if you guys won't do it. Now the goal going through here was to learn faith, trust, and fellowship with God. That's what the whole goal was. Moses, Joshua, Caleb, these should have been the guys teaching them. Faith, trust, and fellowship. These are the three big things that they should have been learning. Faith in God, trust that He has, and surely they should have learned this. Because every place they'd gone, they saw adversary, God delivered them. Surely, eventually, you would think that you would begin to trust them and to have that fellowship. But they didn't seem to learn it. They didn't seem to, to go that way. <clears throat> now, there's, there's something inside here. Once again, the English kind of messes it up. If you remember in the first incident in Exodus that Moses was to come to the rock and he was to strike the rock. In the second incident, Moses was to come to the rock and speak to the rock. In the first one, he was to take his staff and strike the rock. In the second one, the Word of God very specifically says, take Aaron's rod and speak to the rock. That's the rod that budded. But instead, Moses stands before the rock and it says, struck it with his rod. His rod. Now, here's the thing that you can miss, missing it from reading it from the English. In the first one, when it says to strike the rock, it is a different word for rock than it is in the Numbers. Now, I wrote down the Hebrew words for you so you can go look them up if you want. It took me a long time to look at this because most of the things define them as almost almost identical. So it took me a long time to, uh, you know, I thought I was getting an early start on today because I told you Hebrews takes me more time than than most of the other stuff does. And this this absorbed me for quite a bit of time to try and discern this. So here's where we got the the definitions for you. The first one, the, the first one, is the, the word for boulder. The second one is for a high lofty rock or cliff. The first one is for the word boulder. The second is for a high lifted up lofty rock. 
a cliff-like. Now, here's the thing. Watch this symbology. The first one is a boulder, very, very huge, big boulder rock. And how many of you, you can picture Moses kind of standing over top of the rock and striking the rock, and the water come rushing out of the rock. And we get that picture. But not so much with the second one. Because for the second one, the word is for a high lofty rock. Now we know the symbology that was supposed to be here. That the first one that Christ was struck and the second one we speak to his name. We speak his name and, and things, are, things are done. You see the first one, when he came and he was the crucified one. Remember what Jesus said about himself? The stone which the builders rejected will become the cornerstone. Big boulder, big, big solid stone, cornerstone that you make that out of. But on the second one, in the second one we speak to him, he is no longer the big boulder, the cornerstone. He is high and lifted up and exalted. And so the, the difference here is even in the rocks because the one rock is a big rock that's a foundation. The second one is a high lifted up rock. So when you see the second one in the waters of Meribah, you're looking at a rock, a rock that is elevated. That Moses went up there and became elevated because he got on top of that rock and he struck it. Now here's the thing. In Numbers, when we see the story, God told Moses, says, Moses, take Aaron's rod. Go to the rock and speak to the rock. Moses did not need to be on top of the rock at all. He just needed to be down on the earth, look up and speak to the rock. But instead, Moses made his way and got on top. And from a place on top, he did something that God did not tell him to do. Not just that he struck the rock. There was something else that Moses did that God did not say to do. He struck the rock, but he spoke to the people. God never said to speak to the people. He said to speak to the rock. But Moses got up, And he spoke to the people. And he said to the people, Must we bring water for you out of this rock? And then struck the rock. And water came out of the rock. How many of you, you're God, you aren't making that water come out of the rock? You said, Moses, you you got into that. You on your own. (laughs) You figure out how you're going to do this one. Moses spoke to the people and struck the rock. See, folks, a lot of times we're speaking to the wrong source. We're not speaking to the right source. Don't, don't, don't speak to the wrong thing. That's a lesson we can certainly get from there. In John chapter 13, no need to turn there. We're not going to get into that. That, of course, is the uh, situation where Jesus was washing the disciples' feet. When we come to Jesus the first time, and this is what this story was about, that Jesus went around and washed their feet and, of course, came to Peter, and Peter said, no, not just my feet. My, give me a whole bath. Once he found out what what Jesus was doing. He says, no, no, no. He who is clean, need only wash his feet. He said, but not all of you are clean. Speaking about Judas. Because not all of them were born again is what he is saying. And so the people want to wonder, is, is Judas in heaven or in hell? Well, he said right there, not all of you are clean, which means not a lot of you are saved. But here's, a, here's the thing that I put this, yeah, I did put it in your outline as a blank. When we come to God the first time, and we come to God and we repent before God and we get a bath, so to speak, and get cleaned up. We come to God as sinners. The first time we come to God, we come to God as sinners. And Christ had to be struck for us to receive what we needed. He's not constantly struck. He was struck one time. But when we come to Him every other time after that, we don't come as sinners. We come as priests. And if you're wondering why it is that the writer of Hebrews is diverting off into this story, it's because he's still talking about the priesthood. Because we don't come to him as sinners. We come to him as priests. When the disciples were in the upper room and Jesus washed their feet, he didn't wash the feet of sinners. He washed the feet 
of priests. When a priest would come into the temple to serve, he didn't come and take a bath. He came and washed his feet and he washed his hands. Do you see yourself as coming before him as a priest? Or do you see yourself as coming before him as a sinner? Come in the first time as a sinner. From then on, we come to Jesus as priests. No matter what we've done, we come to him as priests. Peter went out and, re- and renounced him three different times. And when he came back to him, did he come back as a sinner? He came back as a priest. And Jesus took him as a priest. Verse 12. Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. So he's telling them, be careful. Beware about this because inside of you there could be an evil heart of unbelief just like it was inside of them. And that evil heart of unbelief caused them to harden their hearts. But don't let that happen with you. Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. That evil heart of unbelief can cause us to depart from the living God. But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of riches or deceitfulness of sin. Exhort one another daily. He's telling them to exhort one another daily. Now think about it. We just got done talking about the waters of Meribah. What would have happened when the waters of Meribah were going on if some of those people would have exhorted each other? What if they would have gone to each other and said, no, 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 that's not talk rebellion. Remember back then they talked rebellion? Remember they had problems with water? You remember every time they had problems with water, God had a deliverance for them. Let's approach this as if God has a deliverance for us. What if they would have exhorted each other that way and never come before the presence of God with complaints and, and disagreements and whatever else they would have done? What if they would have exhorted each other that way? No, no, no. Don't, don't be doing this. Don't go in this direction. Stay in the area of faith. Because the three things they were supposed to grow in was faith, trust, and fellowship. And it did so good. So he's telling you this, and the, the, the writer of Hebrews is saying, exhort each other while it is called today. When is it called today? Today. In other words, don't wait till tomorrow. Don't rest on what you did yesterday. If the day is called today, then be out there exhorting each other. But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Now, interesting makeup of this verse. But exhort one another daily. While it is called today, lest any of you be hardened. Any of you. Now, any of you would be any. All of them. But exhort one another daily. Every day. We need to be exhorting each other. While it is called today lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. First time you read this, you can go through this and decide that the one who is being protected from hardening is the one who is being exhorted. But the more you look at that verse, the more you can get the idea that's not exclusive. The one doing the exhorting can also be prevented from becoming hardened just as the one who is exhorted because of that word any. But exhort one another daily while it is called today. You see, if I go over and I exhort someone, no, don't go that way, am I not also exhorting myself? Am I not also sharpening myself to stay on that? Am I not putting myself in a position, well, if I'm exhorting them to do this, surely I better... (laughs) be out there and doing this walking in this kind of a way surely I ought to be there's a lot of folks out there 
You say, well, I don't have anybody to exhort me. I don't have anybody who exhorts me and sets me straight and, and keeps me going. That will not hold up as an excuse. Just because you don't have anybody to exhort you doesn't mean you shouldn't be out there doing something. You've got to be out there still doing something. You've got to learn how to exhort yourself and nothing else. But when I go out and I exhort other people, that should fire me up by itself. I, the, the Word of God is not exhorting me to, be, to receive exhortation. He's right here telling me to be the exhorter. Well, I wish you'd tell other people to exhort me because I need somebody to come into my life and speak into me and encourage me. It's hogwash. Because if you exhort other people, you will be edified yourself. If you exhort people in the ways of the Word, if you exhort people the way the Pharisees did and do it according to law, that's not going to help anybody. It won't help them and it won't help you. But if you can exhort people in the direction of the faith, it'll help you as well. It will do good for you. But that's what we have to do, go out there and do. You, know, you look at some sports people. How many of y'all seen some of these high-priced sports guys? And um, off-season, they're laying around, being lazy, come into the season out of shape. And you would be thinking, they were paying me $20 million a year. fifteen. Million, I mean, for some of us, $1 million a year would get us to do it. If they paid me $1 million a year, I'd be out there in the gym all the time. I'd be out running. I'd be out in the gym. I'd be lifting weights. I'd be studying film. No problem. I don't need anybody to get out there and tell me I need to be out there and, and do it. I'd be out there. I'm getting paid $1 million a year, $2 million a year, $3 million a year. And you hear about people that get $15, $18, 20000000 $20 a year. Well, I don't have anybody to push me on, so I kind of got lazy and now I'm here with the team and well, you know, we'll get ourselves back and say, that's crazy. You don't, you don't buy into that, do you? No, we don't buy into that. No. Be one who is an exhorter, not one who is waiting to be exhorted. Far, far better thing. But exhort one another daily. Why would it's called today? Now there's a good way to exhort people and there's a bad way to exhort people. How many of y'all been exhorted in a bad way? We know what the bad way is. Yeah. Well, if I were you, I wouldn't do it that way. That is not a good exhortation. That's not going to help me out. We, we, we shouldn't be doing that. We get in there and, and we got we to gotta hear what's going on. What's, uh, what, what's happening? Where, where are people at? Because what you want to do is you want to take somebody and you want to Put them in a position to get pushed a little bit more. You know, we had the group run. This is the time we all get to exhort each other and push each other on and get each other to, to do things. And, and so when we have new people come in, and um, I'm, I don't know, I just, I hate seeing people standing around not knowing what to do. So I usually get over there and I greet them and, yeah, how you doing? One of the first questions I'll ask them is, what's your pace? <laughs> what kind of pace do you expect to run here tonight? And, you know, sometimes they'll say, you know, 8.30 or 8 minutes or 7.30, whatever it might be, I try and you know, find out what their, what their pace is. And I, I, I know the faster guys, I know, where they're, I know this guy runs at like a 6, and this guy's over here, they're around 6.30, and then this guy's, this group over here, they're around 7. And I know, I don't know the ones that are behind me. But I know the ones that are with me and ahead of me, I know where they're running, and I know their pace. And so if they come on in, they say we're in this, this spot, and uh, I say, well, you know, if you expect to run an 8.30, you're probably going to be running like a 7.45 because you've got other people around you. And I said, so uh, follow this guy over here or you know, stay with our group or whatever it might be. Uh, we'll, we'll get you there and we'll help you along. And, and you put them in with somebody. You want them challenged. You see, somebody expects to run a nine-minute mile pace. I don't want to put them in with nine-minute mile runners. I want to put them in with 8.30s. I want to put them in with somebody who's going to challenge them, who's going to push them a little bit. It's going to get them going. And that's what a good exhorter does. We want to push them 
a little bit. I don't take a nine-minute mile pace person and say, well, why don't you go up there and run with those six-minute guys? That's not going to work. They're going to get discouraged. They're going to fail. That's not something they can quite achieve. But you put them into a place where they can, they can achieve and they can, they can do better. We had a guy who came in, in uh, two, my first week back, we had a guy came in and he's brand new. I went on up to him. I hadn't been there in like two months, but that didn't matter. <laughs> I went up to him. I said, what do you expect to run? And so um, he, he told me, I think he said something around like 7.45. He says, oh, doggone. I said, I'm, I'm usually, you know, like the 7.30 pace. I'd tell you to run with us. But um, I'm probably not going to be there. It's my first week back and during all that sort of stuff. So I said, uh, but uh, those guys up there, they're going to run around a 7. And I said, you're probably going to be faster being out here. So I, I put him up there with those guys to run with them. He doggone, he stayed with them the whole time. I talked to him later. I says, how'd that do? He says, didn't even feel like it was any harder than what I usually do. I says, yeah, it's, that's how it goes. It, you, you can push it a little bit faster. You can push it a little bit more. And you can get yourself, get yourself going. And uh, that helps. That helps. You want to get around people that are going to push you. If you get around, you know, if you're a nine-minute mile person and you get around 10-minute mile persons, guess what you're going to do? Probably going to get, probably going to get slow, slow down some. We want people who pushes on. Now, being pushed on, is not, it, it makes you uncomfortable. You know, there, there are some people who won't put up with what you do. Somebody else, you know, if they're a 10-minute mile, they'll put up with certain things out of you. They'll, they'll put up with unfaith-type language out of you. Because you're running just an equivalent, Christian equivalent, you're running the Christian walk at a 10-minute mile pace, and you get put up with somebody who's running at a 9-minute mile pace, and they're going to say, that's unbelief that you're talking right there. And they're going to get in your face about it. In a good way, though. You say, why are you saying stuff like that? Do you hear what you're saying? And, and, and they'll, they'll help you out with that. They'll, they'll get you going. Now, how about you all have some people in your life that can kind of just slap you upside the face? <laughs> and it'd be a good thing. Just slap you upside the face and, and uh, you'll feel better about it. Oh, yeah, that was... I was wrong. I, sh- I shouldn't have been doing that. These are the things we need to do. We need to have people around us that are do it. But exhort one another. While it is called today, as long as it's today, who am I going to exhort today? Not who's going to exhort me. Who am I going to exhort? I have found this out, that if I will step forward and exhort people in a loving way, in a caring way, in a way that I care about you going on. If I will do that, while I am doing it, God speaks to me about stuff in that same line. Some of it I speak to them as well, but it's ministered to me. And I got exhorted just, just in, in that part. But, but if I don't step out and exhort, nothing happens. I don't get to hear anything. So don't mourn that no one is ex- encouraged or exhorted you. Get out there and tell people. Exhort people. Verse 14. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. While it is said today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. We're going to come back to verse 14. Do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who, having heard rebelled, indeed was it not all who come out of Egypt led by Moses. Now with whom he was angry 40 years, was it not with those who sinned, whose corpses fell in the wilderness? Well, we know that he was angry with those for 40 years, but how many see the new generation that came up? How many of y'all know he could have been angry with them too? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who did not obey? So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. Now we're going to get more about this rest business down the road. Because there's a whole lot of confusion on what rest is. Sometimes we think that, the, that rest is sitting on the sofa, putting your feet up, and having a nice Diet Coke in your hand. Ice, ice cold Diet Coke or iced tea in your hand and just sipping away, that's rest. We're going to find out what the rest is. Because Hebrews does spend some time on it. But we're not going to get into it now because he just mentioned it. Just kind of bringing it up a little bit. But we're going to talk about enter. So remember this part about entering into the rest. But back over here in verse 14. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. We are a partaker of Christ. 
Not a partaker of the things of Egypt. Not a partaker of the things of the world. We are a partaker of Christ. Therefore, we got to get rid of all the stuff from the world, get rid of all that baggage, and I need some people who are willing to speak to me and tell me, you're carrying around the wrong kind of baggage. You're carrying around the wrong kind of stuff. Now, sometimes they get frustrated with you. Sometimes they get angry with you. I've had people get angry at me. I know it. I even know what I'm telling them to them. They're going to get angry at this. I know it sometimes on the things we're, do, we're teaching on Sunday. I said, Father, if I teach that, I'm going to get some people mad. Because, <laughs> you know, not everybody likes to hear this sort of stuff. I wrote down some questions today for the series we're doing here on Sunday. I wrote down some of these questions. I said, Dear Lord, if I answer that question, I'm gonna, there's a whole lot of people who are going to get mad at me. Here, in this church. I'm not talking about other churches in other states. I'm talking about here in this church. I said, if I answer that question, we're going to get some people mad at me. And, and that, because um, we'll get into it, I'm sure. Because <laughs> y'all take it well. <laughs> and if you don't, well, what are you going to do? I got to tell you. But there's, there's some things in the areas of prayer that if I let people continue to go on and they, and they, they pray a certain way, if I let them go on, they're set up to fail. They're praying for the wrong things. People sometimes pray and ask God or ask other people. Just today, I was, I was writing down some things, some revelation I got on the prayer of agreement. On, on, we'll get into that on the Sunday morning series. Glory to God. You folks would like to keep praying for, uh, for, for me and revelation and stuff like that, you know, that, that team that they put together. I'll tell you what, I appreciate that because... Sometimes I'm just over there. I'm supposed to be studying for Hebrews. I'm getting revelation on, <laughs> on this. I said, prayer of agreement. Where are we going to bring that in at? And so I saw we were going to bring that on in at. So I, I got stuff to, to, to write it down and to keep it there so that I don't forget it. Nothing worse than getting something and forgetting it later on. Don't want to be doing that. But you've become partakers of Christ, folks. You need some people that will help you get rid of all that other stuff help you get rid of all those things that you have become partakers of other things. Get rid of those things. You are a partaker of Christ. He says, if, it means it's conditional. If we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. And we'll get more into this verse as he begins to explain some things later on because he's going to begin to talk about the priesthood of the individual believer as he begins to compare it to other priesthoods and other things that are going on. He's going to be talking about you being a priest. I have got to see myself in a priestly ministry and not as a sinner coming to God repenting. Sir, you come and... I'm not saying don't come and repent. Oh, glory to God, we come and repent. We miss it, we come and repent. That's what we got to do. But we don't come as a sinner repenting. We come as a priest getting cleaned up for service. Because every time before the priest would enter into the service, they get cleaned up. And then they would go into service. But how many times has the devil tried to make you feel disqualified because something you did is a sin? He makes you see yourself as a sinner and therefore you can't go in as a priest. But all through the Old Testament, no matter what level of priest they were, whatever service they came into, they had the basin, they had the places that they, they got cleaned up before they went in for service. They didn't think while they were getting cleaned up, oh, I got dirty. I'm a sinner. They got cleaned up and made ready to be a priest. Do you see yourself as being made ready to be a priest? Do you see yourself as a priest? Or does the devil have an easy time of pulling you into a place of seeing yourself as a sinner? He's good at it. He's good at getting you to see yourself the wrong way. But you are a partaker of Christ. You are a priest in his ministry. And when you get cleaned up, it's nothing different than when the priest came and got cleaned up to enter into the temple. And daily, we saw the priest go in for one service after another, not just into the Holy of Holies, but for one service into another, getting cleaned up and going in and being a priest. And they didn't die. But if they hadn't got cleaned up, it may not have been the case. You are a priest called in the priestly ministry. Live like a partaker of Christ and not as a sinner. 
Father, we thank you for the examples you give us in your word. Thank you that you have called us to a priest, a priestly, priesthood ministry. And that you have equipped us for such. We are partakers with Christ. We need to stay out of those things that would get our hearts hardened. It would have us follow in the feet of those who rebelled, first generation or second generation. Because even as close as this was to the promised land entry, we see what condition these folks were in. And yet in a matter of time, they stood before Jericho and obeyed every word that was said. Thank you, Father. And that's where we can be. Having victories like Jericho in our life. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Comments, questions? Any blanks I didn't fill in? Letter B, huh? Oh, I didn't do that one? Oh, that was my favorite one, too. Because I rewarded the, the other one. In other words, his will is not seen or felt, but revealed. So that's in other words of the first part that said, you cannot know the will of God from circumstances only, but from his word. So in other words, his will is not seen or felt but revealed. I just think of that. Just read that. It's not going to make sense because you, you got to hear what the other words were. <laughs> to, yeah, but that was, oh, I liked, that was my favorite one. I can't believe I skipped over that one. Of all the blanks, of all the blanks, that was my favorite one. <laughs> I had to make sure I put it in blanks so that they wouldn't <laughs> jump out there too soon. That's a lot of the purpose of the blanks. It's just so stuff doesn't jump out too soon. Uh, how does Brother Noel put it at one time? He says, uh, oh, he had a way of saying that one time. He was up here. Don't um, spill all your beans at one time. That's not what he said. But he said something else. Uh, uh, I, I don't remember what it was. But um, anyway, don't, don't put all your stuff out at one time. <laughs> it's what he was getting at. He had a great way of phrasing us. Oh, man, that's, that is a good way to put it. I just can't think of what it, how it was now. But I know I wrote it down because it was, it was that good, so I have it for that. But yeah, we, we, we see things and we feel things, but that's not the that's not what we base it off of. Can't can't base it off what you what you see and feel. Just because you see and feel it almost is it grounds for saying that's not what God is, is sharing. That's not what God is showing you. It's what's re- revealed down in your spirit. Thanks for asking that. I would not have like to have missed that one. 